0: Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited that you are here. And uh, man, we're walking through the book of Genesis. Uh, We have been at this. uh, We're about to wrap up our 10th month uh, walking through the book of Genesis today. Chapter 42. If you want to go ahead and make your way there as I kind of update you on some things that are going on. Uh, those of you that may be new to the Bible study, uh, we are coming to you from the studios of The Rick and Bubba Show. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess. I'm co-host of The Rick and Bubba Show. Uh, you can find out more about that at rickandbubba.com, but also director of themanchurch.com. And this Bible study began uh, when I was in my local church looking and experimenting and searching Scripture and praying uh, for a better way uh, to reach and disciple the men of the church and of the surrounding uh, community and uh, and so this is part of that uh, these uh, small group Bible studies, we have men here in the room. Uh, m- a lot of them have been coming for eight years to this Bible study. Some of them uh, just started coming last week, and then a lot of them somewhere in between. Uh, so uh, we have people here in the room. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama, and you want to come to the Rick and Bubba Studios on a Wednesday at noon Central Time, uh, we'd love to have you with us. I have you out at 1 o'clock uh, Central Time. And then, of course, you can archive watch the archive of this on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, or listen to the audio-only archive on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. If you're looking for past Bible studies, those audio archives can be found at BurgessMinistries.com under Listen. And I mean, these are archives back over eight years, different series that you might be interested in. You can also find a lot of them on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel as well, just by going up and— in searching the men's Bible study, and you can find those archives if that's what you prefer. Now, with that being said, themanchurch.com is where you can find that men's discipleship strategy. Uh, we launched that in March 1 of 2020. We're about two and a half years old. About 550 churches around the country are implementing the, the strategy. It involves men gathering together in their own services uh, for worship and high challenge, but then putting men into small groups like this uh, for high equipping. Uh, We have 40-week curriculum available for the high-equipping, and you can find those uh, by going to themanchurch.com where it says get started. It'll show you the strategy, and you can find those curriculum. We have a fourth one coming out in 2023 so uh, we'll tell you more about that when it comes out. And speaking of 2023, we also have our first-ever Man Church Conference. Uh, that's coming to my hometown, Oxford, Alabama. If you and, and, and your men of your church or your community or just you uh, want to come, um, we would love to have you. Uh, those tickets are on sale, now. I will tell you they are moving. So, so stop putting this off. I know as men we procrastinate, and we think, oh, February 24th. I think I'll start thinking about that on February 23rd. Uh, if you do that, you probably won't be coming. Uh, so you need to go ahead and get – and we, look, strategically set it on the, the – I call February the month of men's ministry. Why? Football season has ended. Deer hunting season has ended. And turkey season and baseball has not begun. So uh, they, they have not become our in your spring sports. So that's that month where everybody tries to cram all the men's ministry together because that's when we have a little more freedom, and that's why we put our conference there. That's, that's the month of men's ministry, February. So it'll be February 24th and 25th uh, at the Performing Arts Center. You can get those reserve tickets, which means – they your tickets for the weekend. will be Friday night and then half a day on Saturday, and we even include a discount for you to go to big-time entertainment there in Oxford, Alabama, and do some fellowship as well. So we'll have high challenge from our speakers. We'll have high equipping with all of our resources that will be there, and we'll have some fellowship as well. There's also an opportunity to come to a breakfast on Saturday morning. Uh, I'll be there. Helmsy will be there from the Rick and Bubba show to talk about how to teach the curriculum. Andy Blanks, who writes the study guides, he'll be there uh at that breakfast uh, the real greg burgess will be uh, they're just hanging out, gripping and grinning from the Rick and Bubba show. Speedy will be there. So if you're a fan of the show, you'll get to meet those guys too. Uh, Rich Wingo will be speaking. I'll be speaking. Uh, Andy Blanks will be speaking. And, and also Recap Gray, a young pastor that will come in. He's our special guest. He'll also be speaking. And Chuck Hooten will be leading worship. So if you don't have your tickets, get those now by going to manchurch.com There's also man churches. These are services that are happening uh, at church that are doing the strategy. Now, where can I find one of those? Well, you can go to themanchurch.com and click on it, but I'll also show you this. Uh, Coming up November 4th, my home church, Valleydale Church, Rich Wingo, uh, will be there. We're having um, 20 different chili recipes, and then we're going to eat chili and go into a worship service. Uh, uh, We may all become Pentecostal before that is over. Uh, So uh, so, uh, if you want to be part of that, Uh, It's November the 4th Uh, We do need you to to register It doesn't cost you anything, let us know you're coming Just so we can kind of get a number You can do that at the link There at themanchurch.com under November 4th November 5th, Crestview, Florida Mark Garnett will be there They're wrapping up their first year and their first curriculum This will be their last Man Church Of 2022 Uh, Mark Garnett, Garnett is there and you're welcome To join them on November the 5th November the 12th, Pastor Tim Ashley Part of our team, he will be In Fanger, Tennessee I understand you're supposed to say it that way Fanger Uh, And he's there at Old Friendship Baptist Church On November the 12th That one is ticketed because they're doing some food there, and they do need to hear from you. Uh, November the 13th, Brian Gunn will be in Dothan, Alabama. He'll be speaking at Bay Springs Baptist as they do the men's discipleship strategy. November 17th, Northside Baptist Church, Jasper, they're doing the strategy. Andy Blanks will be speaking at their Next Man Church. November the 19th, we have Sand Spring Baptist Church, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. They're kicking off the men's discipleship strategy with their first man church, and Scott Dawson will be there. So find all those by going to themanchurch.com or any man church that's happening uh, the rest of this year and even into 2023. Find one near you, go attend that service, and then plug into one of the small groups and be part of the strategy. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and then let's unpack Genesis 42. Lord, thank you for today. We love you, and uh, we, we just thank you uh, for the grace and the mercy that you have shown us. Uh, may we not take uh, this grace and abuse it uh, today, Lord, as we unpack your holy word. Help us, Lord, to, to glean everything that you intend us to glean today. I know for many of us, we're at different places in our spiritual maturation. Uh, and, Lord, maybe we've, we've heard this historical uh, documentation many times in our life, even maybe all the way back to even when we were a child. Uh, but maybe today for the first time we understand what you're actually saying. Uh, in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're following the history uh, of the world, this this is when uh, now Joseph has risen to power uh, with the Egyptians. Um, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. You're going to see the narrative. Um, as, as, he, as now Joseph has risen to power, um, he, he is a governor. I mean, he has a lot— of, of authority now, and he's in charge during this famine uh, on the distribution of the grain. So Joseph has found himself in a position placed there by God uh, where he is going to encounter his brothers again. Because of the famine, which God foreknew, his brothers are going to have to seek out grain, and God has placed Joseph, the very brother that they sold into slavery, in the position on whether they're going to be fed or not. So uh, so the narrative is going to shift from just mainly Joseph, and it's going to shift back to the brothers again. So let's look at, uh, at verses 1 through 4. When Jacob, see we're back now at home, we're back, uh, we're back in Canaan where Jacob is. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? That sounds like my dad. Uh, And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers, make a note of that, ten of them, ten of of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt for, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. All right, so let's look at what's going on here. We do not know. uh, Moses does not tell us. Maybe he thought it would be understood. But we do not know how Jacob knows there is grain to be had in Egypt. We don't know where where he got that information. Maybe that was sent out to all the areas. We really don't know. But we do know this. He takes the initiative. He's going to send his sons uh, to Egypt. Now, I love that when they're starving and there is famine and he says to his boys, I don't know if any of you have sons, but if you have sons, this, this scene makes all the sense in the world to me. Uh, Jacob stand, sits there with his young adult sons, and he says, hey, there's grain to be had in Egypt. Why, why y'all just looking around at each other? Let's Go go get some grain. I mean, he even says, I've made the point. I know what we need. I know where it is. Y'all are just sitting there looking at each other like a, like a bunch of doofuses. I want y'all to go get us some. And he tells them exactly what he wants them to do. Uh, this shows us that that Jacob, even though he is aging, is clearly still in charge because he's the one, is still the patriarch, and he's saying to these, these sons, uh, go to Egypt and go get us some grain. There is some there to be had. Now notice that when he sends them, he wants them all to go, but he will not send Benjamin. And notice that he refers to Benjamin and Moses refers to to Benjamin as as Joseph's brother well isn't he the brother of the other guys too uh, so but 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 there's, he it's being specified why this is still Jacob's favorite he sees the the sons from the woman he really loved as more valuable than the sons from other women uh, and and he's making that very very clear because he says I deem Benjamin of so much value I won't chance that something bad's gonna happen to him. But y'all go ahead and go. Uh, Jacob hasn't really learned much from the the what he's created here, uh, but we know that a lot's going on with these brothers that did this horrible thing, and we're going to see some of it be packed today, and we're going to see a lot of it be impacted as we go over the next couple of weeks. So here's what happens in verses 5 through 6. Thus the sons of Israel, of course that's Jacob, came to buy among the others who came, meaning a lot of people found out that there was grain there, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor. Look at this, governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. This must have been a, a, a quite a moment for Joseph. Anybody remember the dream? And here we go. So uh, they go to Egypt because of the famine. Uh, we find out that Joseph is governor and that he's the, the ruler and the dispenser of the grain. And um, now the brothers come in, and they bow before him, completely fulfilling one of the dreams that he had. Can you imagine this moment for Joseph? Because we find out pretty quick that Joseph knows who they are. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him, and we'll get into that. So verse 7, here it comes. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. I bet. Where do you come from, he said. They said from the land of Canaan to buy food. Well, uh, the narrative doesn't take very long because you think about it seems like it would be natural, which there's nothing natural about this because God's involved, that if my brothers had sold me into slavery and I had not seen them since then, and I had risen to power, and I'm now governor, and I'm in charge of the grain, and these brothers that threw me into slavery came walking up, my reaction would be, hey— Y'all, rec- y'all remember me, I would immediately let them know that I knew who they were, and, and, and it would be on. But Joseph doesn't do that. He recognizes them, and he does speak roughly to them, but he's being prompted by God, don't reveal yourself. And we're going to find out what's happening here, and this is something that God does. Remember, very, very important, we've talked about this, God, let's be crystal clear, God does not tempt us. That comes from our flesh or from the adversary. God's not in the tempting business. To say that about God is blasphemy, but he does test us. And really, what he wants Joseph to do, and Joseph will do it, test your brothers to see if they if they have any regrets at all and they're repentant about what they did. Test them to see if they can be trusted now. And so Joseph is going to find that out. He wants to know who they are now. It's been a while since he's since he's seen them, and he wants to know: is there any change in them at all? So now let's look um, at the fact that he um, he is going to test if they can be trusted, and he wants to know: have they changed? Now remember, he he Joseph is a type of Christ. He certainly isn't Christ, but he's a type of Christ, and we have these throughout the Old Testament. He's a foreshadowing to Jesus. This is a real person, and this is all real history, and and so you think about the 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 image that you see here, and we have this, uh, and and Jesus talks about this clearly. God does test us, and He tests us why to see if we can be trusted. Remember, we talked about that, uh, and I want to tell some of you because when we when we talked about that last, and I think Helmsley, put yeah he has he's put out a clip from that when I talked about us standing before the bema seat. Uh, and, and I've gotten a, a lot of feedback on that. Some people are saying, you know, I really wasn't that familiar uh, with this part of, of the Revelation, this part of Scripture in the end of time and, and, and eternity. And, and I want to suggest a book for you that probably is, is the best I've seen so far, talking about um, uh, how certainly uh, there's many who are justified, but but not everybody will have the same experience even in eternity when it comes to the Bema seat, on the things that we did after justification. Here's the book. It's called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. It's really good. A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. This is a book by Ken Harrison, who is the chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers, uh, the, re- the, the reboot of Promise Keepers. And he and I have become friends. And, uh, and I've interviewed him about this book, and I read it. And I will say that uh, at the end uh, of the book, he goes into—the whole book is talking about that concept, but at the end, he actually says right out of Scripture all the different crowns that are mentioned in Scripture and, and who these crowns are given to and, and uh, the Bema seat and all that. He really does an incredible job of unpacking that in a tone that men can easily study. Ken Harrison, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. So, so now we see this taking place, this testing of Joseph. Now let's read eight through 11. And Joseph recognized his brothers, and this is important, but they did not recognize him. Why do you think that is? They did not recognize him. Well, there's the obvious. He's older now, but so are they, and he recognizes them. Uh, we actually, uh, at the, my home church, um, my, our pastor Mac Brunson, talked about Moses and how Moses, when he lived as an Egyptian, uh, it was it was similar that he began to look and act like an Egyptian. Uh, he made the joke even walk like an Egyptian. You know, with Joseph, uh, of course Moses had been raised as a baby, so he was really like an Egyptian because that's all he had known up to that point. But but the reason why we think about it, all right, Joseph is cleanly shaven. We know that he doesn't look like uh, that he's. Uh, that he is one of their their family. He looks like an Egyptian. He's he's dressed like an Egyptian. He's shaved like an Egyptian. And and the fact that he's older, they they would have looked up at their brother and thought, "Well, there's an Egyptian." They would have never thought. Hey, I think that guy looks a lot like Joseph. Even, even if they thought he might resemble Joseph in their mind, they think he's dead. Uh, and plus, uh, they don't know what happened to him, and they certainly don't expect him to be the governor. Uh, you know, with Pharaoh handing out the grain. So they, they, their mind never goes there, but, but he does recognize them. Uh, and then, of course, confirming the part about the dream in verse 9, And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my lord, underline that. Look what they're calling him. No, my lord, your servants, underline that, have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We're honest men. Your servants underline that have never been spies. All right. So look at this. He says, "You you have come here to find out how bad the famine has affected Egypt, so you can go back and get your people and come out here and overthrow us. You're here to find out the state of Egypt." And uh, and and the, what do they say? No, my lord. What did his dream say they would call him? We're your servants. They've bowed to him. I mean, the dream is just coming true right before his very eyes. Now, what did they do to try to get him to say, look, there's no way that we can be spies? Uh, and, and, and so he, he, he clearly accuses them of lying to him, and he says that they don't want to buy grain. They're spying, spying on Egypt to see if it's weak, uh, and then they say, no, no. First of all, we call you Lord. We are your servants. And then they say there's no way that we would be spies. For one thing, we all are from the same dad. Spies don't all come from the same dad. If we were spies, we wouldn't be from the same family. You know They're almost even trying to play to the lot. It's not logical that we would be spies. We're just a bunch of brothers that all have the same daddy, and we've come here to buy grain we don't really meet the criteria of being spies. So then uh, we go into uh, 12 and 13. He said to them, no, it's the nakedness of the land that you come to see. He's he's still making the accusation. And they said, we, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father. And then here it comes. And one is no more. Mm. How do you think that felt? How do you think that felt when Joseph heard that? He repeats the accusation. And what he's trying to do is he's trying, because you know Joseph is a very smart man, and what he's really trying to do, and he is successful, he keeps making the accusation, not that he believes it anymore, because he knows who they are. Not that he believes it anymore, he's trying to draw out as much information about the current state of the family as he can. He's trying to get updated. What's happened to my family? What's happened to these guys? Is my dad still alive? You know, is my baby brother still alive? And so, because remember, Benjamin was a toddler when Joseph left. And then he hears from them, only 10 of them are present. One of them is no more. They don't even call him by name. They don't say our brother is no more. They don't say his name was Joseph and he's no more, and, and one's no more. They can't say that they killed him. I mean, they, they're, they just, they're just kind of saying, hey, there's one of us that's not around anymore, and meaning that he died. Joseph learns that, uh, that, that they don't recognize him, but he also learns what? Benjamin's alive. So he gets that information, uh, which is uh, uh, some of what he's after. 14 through 17. "'But Joseph said to them, "'It is as I said, you are spies. "'By this you shall be tested. "'By the life of Pharaoh "'you shall not go from this place "'unless your youngest brother comes here. "'Send one of you and let him bring your brother "'while you remain confined, "'that your words may be tested "'whether there is truth in you, "'or else by the life of Pharaoh "'surely you are spies.'" And seventeen, and he put them all together in custody for three days. All right. So Joe's getting serious. What he's trying to do is he wants to see Benjamin. So he continues his accusation. He said, "If you want to prove that you really are one family, one of y'all, you're gonna. There's some way y'all got to go back and get your younger brother, and y'all got to produce him. And look, he's so indignant about this. He does something that's dangerous. He says he takes an oath." By Pharaoh's life demonstrating the seriousness of his accusation. He proposed the test was to imprison his brothers and send only one back to get Benjamin. Uh, this would confirm the claim. Now he also just wants to see his little brother. He, he hasn't seen them since he was since the the, the the brother was a toddler, as I said, but don't miss this too. As much as Joseph is going to finish this well, You do see here, and this is important when we're reading this historical events, Joseph is just a man because you know what? Him putting them in jail, there is some bitterness there. Was that really necessary? So he is mad about it, and he is bitter how they treated him. And he's really not enjoying hearing that one is no more. And he's, he's hearing that he's missed all this time with his little brother who's still alive. He's still not sure about his dad yet, but this thing of putting them in prison—he he's using his authority just a little bit right there to to punish them a little bit. So don't miss that. He is still just a man. So you know what he's doing, like we all have to do when God allows us to go through difficulty. He's going through that process where he's having to work it out. You know, I'm a little bit bitter about this. I don't like this situation. I'm. I'm. I, I didn't. I, here they come into my presence. I, I'm. I'm. I'm working out, and eventually will do the right thing. But but I'm having to work on it. So so we should find some solace that it's difficult for everybody. E- even even heroes of the Bible. They're just men and women. So let's look at the next thing that happens. 18 through 20. On the third day, Joseph said to them do this and you will live for our fear of God. Underline that. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry, and carry grain for uh, the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. I right, notice how it's changed a little bit. At one time, he wants to imprison all of them but one and send one back. You, you know what the process of the three days was? Have you ever had this happen? Have you ever been in a situation, and this is wise, I just need to have a cool-down period. Let, let, me, let me think on this a little bit. Let, let me pray on this. I can tell you the times that I've responded with the flesh without doing that, I'm always wrong. If you just take time in a difficult situation sometimes to say, let me just push back let me let me give this a little bit let, let me think on this before I respond. So now he's kind of thought it through and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna send food back with them. You're going to see two of these even gonna give their money back. I'm gonna keep one of them as opposed to keeping all of them except one and I'm gonna send the rest of them back so they can carry more food back so they'll be okay and then the, and I'm still going to try to get Benjamin back by keeping one of them. So he's kind of re, he's kind of working it and softening it a little bit now. So he and notice he says, if you do this, you will live, meaning I'm not gonna burn you because I fear God. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna treat you wrong because of my fear of God. He's letting them know that. And uh and that's to reassure them that he's not a pagan, that he really has come to fear the one and only living God. And of course we know that Joseph has been showing that the whole time he's been there. They don't know that. So they they uh they, they. When he says he fears God, they, w- you will get grain. You will get it home. Y'all will be okay if y'all bring Benjamin back here for me to see. Bring that little brother back to me. And, um, and so, this next part is um, is is a little bit troubling because we're going to see a part of what happened to Joseph when he was sold into slavery. And you remember we referenced it when we went through that historical event, and I even went to this chapter and said when we get there, we're going to find out some more of the things that happened that we are not, we don't know now. But looking back on it, we're going to hear some things that we didn't hear uh, when we went through this historical event. 21 through 25. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. See, we didn't know that. When we first got to the historical event, they don't talk about Joseph begging for his life, but now they're looking back and they're letting us know, you know, he begged us not to hurt him. He begged us not to do this. And we should have listened. Our hearts should have softened the way he pleaded and begged with us. And so now we know. Now keep in mind, they think Joseph doesn't know their language. Joseph has been speaking to them with an interpreter on purpose to make it even more believable that he's not their brother. But he can—he speaks their language. It's his native language. So he hears this conversation, and they think he can't hear them because they think he doesn't know the language, unless the interpreter starts trying to say it back to him, which they don't hear the interpreter saying anything. So... So they're talking loud enough that it can be heard, but they're not concerned because they think he doesn't know their language. And so here they are discussing this, and Joseph gets to hear their hearts here. And they said, he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And look at the oldest brother. Remember Reuben, 22. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? Now, he should have stood up and said it's not going to happen, but, I mean, let's face it, in Reuben's defense, I mean, that would have been one against against nine. Okay, uh, nine brothers against one is not a good thing. Reuben tried to find a way to get back around and get him, but remember, it fell apart. His plan didn't work. But Reuben is letting us know that I was not for this, and I told you all not to do it, and I told you if we did it, it was going to come back on us, and now here we are facing this governor in Egypt I mean, there's a good chance we can end up being killed over all this. He's, now, now one of us has got to go to prison. And I told you all, all this is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph. And I told you all not to do this, not to sin against the boy. No, he calls it sin. But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. We're in this situation because of what we did. That's repentance, isn't it? Have you ever had to get to that point in your life? I know I have. Where you say, ultimately, in all of this, I look around at my situation, and I'm so thankful for the grace of God because of the... What Reuben is saying right here is the thing that we've been repeating in here for eight years. I am so thankful that we can be forgiven if we are willing to repent. And God says... Just like Joseph is saying to them, I fear God. If you do what I say, you'll get the food and you won't be harmed. Our God says, if you repent and sincerely turn from your sin to me, I will not hold it against you. I will forgive you. And you can count on that. Okay? I don't just say that and then change my mind. But sin always matters. And, and there's, there's been times in my life that I've looked around and said, you know what this is? I've been forgiven, but this is a reckoning. This, this situation I'm in has been created by the sin that I've done. I'm forgiven, but here on earth I'm in a bind because of the mess I've made by the decisions that I made. I chose to do this, and I knew it was sin, and it was not what to do, and now there's a reckoning. And you hear Reuben saying, we weren't going to get away with treating this our brother this way. And now this distress we brought on ourselves. I hate to say it, it Reuben is getting the ultimate, I told you so. Uh, but, um, but then 23, this is the part I was telling you about, about the language. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. 24, this, is, this part always moves me. Then he turned away from them and he wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound them before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. This is what was done for them. Now, let's unpack this because this has got some beautiful stuff in it. So the discussion among the brothers about we're being punished for the way that we treated our brother. They believe God is at work in punishing them for what they did. We find out, as I said, that Joseph pleaded with them. Reuben makes the accusation that I told you not to harm the boy. Reuben says we're going to be held accountable for his blood. Joseph hears this and understands what they're saying, and in verse 24, Joseph gets emotional. Now, why is he emotional here? He hears them talking He's been, you know, you could say as simple as, and some commentators do. Most believe it's deeper than this, but some say it's it's no more complicated than he's reliving this moment. He remembers pleading and begging, and the fact that they wouldn't, that they left him, and he's heartbroken about reliving that. Others say, which I think is probably more likely, he's moved by Reuben saying, "We shouldn't have done this. We we should not have committed to sin against the boy." We're going, we're going to be held accountable for his blood. And the reason why that's more likely, that that's what moved him, is he should have jailed Reuben because he's the oldest, and he didn't. He let Reuben go, and he put Simeon in jail. So, so, so that, that shows you, because that's not the pecking order. If he was going to send nine of them back, you keep the oldest because that's the one with the most power in, in the family, and he didn't. He sent Reuben back, and he said, I'll, I'm going to keep Simeon. So that's an indicator that it was Reuben's repentance that moved Joseph, and it was probably Reuben's repentance that got them the, their money back because now he's taking care of them. They, now, they're going to think it's a ploy for them all to get in trouble, but, but that's not. Uh, Joseph is actually just being gracious. And he says, "I'm going to send them back with grain, and it's not going to cost them anything. I'm going to give it to them, so they can have money and they can have grain." And uh, and and he doesn't know; they don't know that's happened yet. But that's what he did. But this is a beautiful moment, and this is the beginning. Remember when I said he, Joseph had to push back, and say, "I got to figure out how I feel about all this. I got to figure out what I'm going to do." Well, God lets him hear there is some repentance in your brothers. There is some regret that they did this, especially with Reuben. And, and this starts the softening of Joseph's heart. But he still wants to see his little brother who he hasn't seen since he was a child. So he is starting to, to think there's a chance that they're going to return. He knows they're going to return because the famine he knows is going to last six years because he saw it in a dream. So he knows they're going to have to come back. So he feels good about that. But he 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 wants to know if they've they've truly changed. So he keeps Simeon. So the testing is going to continue. But you do see Reuben's repentance. It does warrant, and it does cause Joseph to what? To be gracious. There, you'll see that again. The foreshadowing, repentance, grace. When was Joseph gracious? When he saw repentance. What, 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 what did Jesus tell us? Jesus said in, in, in Luke, he said, repent or perish. But there's even more. And I think we, it's, it's, we need to be reminded of this again about repentance because I'm, I'm really, really gravely concerned that the Western church has stopped preaching repentance as part of the gospel and if you don't preach repentance, you're not preaching the gospel. Now, you may say, Rick, my goodness, you're really full of yourself, thinking you, you're you the one that knows about the gospel. No, I'm not saying this. I'm saying this because this is exactly what Jesus Christ said in Luke 24, verses 47, and, and I will read this to you. I'll start in, in, in 45. Then Jesus opened their minds, the disciples. This is after uh, the resurrection. He's now appeared to the disciples. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and this is what Jesus said. Do you want to know what the gospel is? Do you think Jesus knows what it is? This is what he told the disciples, what we're supposed to be preaching. Are you ready? These are my words. This is in red. And I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses uh, and the prophets and the Psalms and uh, has been fulfilled. Forty-five. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, gospel, here comes 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, talking about himself, to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with the power from on high. That's them waiting on the Holy Spirit. So what did Jesus tell them to preach? That repentance and forgiveness. So what's first? Repentance. Jesus, Jesus Christ said that's the gospel. So anybody preaching grace without repentance, that's not the gospel. And here, Joseph, a foreshadowing of that, saw repentance— and grace came pouring out. So, so we, we can't remove that from the gospel because Jesus said that is part of the gospel. At Acts chapter 2, they now have the Holy Spirit. Peter finally gets it right. He preaches with the power of the Holy Spirit. The people's hearts were, were cut. Luke says they cried out to Peter and the brothers, here's this new church standing there. We're under conviction. What are we supposed to do? What did Peter say? Repent. I mean, come on, guys. So how do we leave that out? We, we we were instructed not to. So I'm going to preach the gospel that Jesus said was the gospel, not what somebody else may have made up along the way. So now, I didn't mean to get sidetracked there, but it did. So now in 25 and 26, um, I think it might have been called for uh, he has replaced it now in 26, I'm sorry. In 26, he says, then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and they departed. So they're gone now 27, uh, through, uh, 28. And as one of them opened his sack, it doesn't tell us which one it was to give his donkey, uh, fodder at the lodging place. He saw his money in the mouth of his sack. I guess the others didn't look cause only one brother sees it here. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the, the mouth of my sack, and their hearts failed them. They're terrified, and, and they turn trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? My goodness, we're going to get accused of stealing our money back. God is he, We're not going to get away with this. God is going to make sure that these Egyptians kill us. You see, because he thinks, Oh, no. If, if they see us leave with the grain that we didn't pay for it, they're gonna, they're gonna arrest all of us and kill us. God has brought His wrath down upon us, but what they don't realize, what? No, God's given them grace, because those who repent will not see the wrath of God. And, and so, but they don't know that, and you can see why they would think that. Um, so, twenty-nine through, uh, uh, through thirty-four, when they came to Jacob their father, now they're back home in the land of Canaan. They told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, the Lord of the land, isn't it it interesting right here, they're telling him about the son that he thinks is dead, and they don't know to tell him that yet. The man, the the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us, I love that, "and, and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take your grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will, uh, I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. All right, so they're basically just recapping um, everything to their dad, exactly what we already know. And the reason why they are going along with this, and the way they're kind of setting it up, is they're kind of getting Dad ready for the fact that he they I think they know, and it's pretty clear you're seeing a minute when we bring up that Benjamin's got to go back. It so they're trying to soften the blow of this request. Hey, Simeon's in jail. They kept Simeon something we probably going to need to do now you're going to see jacob not not behaving a great way here in a moment but this is an ongoing theme with him when it comes to benjamin and joseph but anyway he's uh there there they're, have you ever been talking to somebody and it's something you're kind you've got an ask coming that you're not that comfortable with and you're trying to set up the scenario before you make the ask that really i don't have any other choice but to ask this, and you really don't have any other choice but to kind of go along with it because I've kind of set up why we're in this situation and why I need you to do this, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It, it Sometimes it helps. Uh, but then 35 and 36, um, you're going to see that uh, they discover something. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in the sack, and when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Well, we're all going to die now. So every one of us is left with the grain and the money. We have stolen grain from Egypt. How terrifying you think that is? Now, the, the, let me tell you this. We know, because some of you may be thinking, well, now maybe Joseph was messing with him. We know that this act actually was an act of grace because Joseph never brings us up. He never says, hey, we didn't—y'all left with the money. You stole money. So he never brings it up. So never one time did they get in trouble for that. Now, he does a thing with Benjamin that you know about, and we'll we'll get to that later. But this particular thing of these brothers getting their money back and the grain, Joseph gave them that. That was not part of trickery. That was not part of testing them. That was him being moved by Reuben's repentance and thinking there's a chance they may be changing. And he also had a heart for Jacob and a heart for Benjamin, and he sent not only grain back, he sent money back because this is his family. So even though they're terrified, it's not warranted. I understand why they're terrified, but but this is not something um, uh, that, uh, that Joseph is doing. All right, so 36. And Jacob their father said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin... All this has come against me. He's saying, Joseph is gone. Simeon's in jail. And y'all want to take Benjamin? And then he says, everything that has happened to what? To me. Now here's Jacob saying, "Look, look at me. All this has happened to me. He has no idea what's happened to Joseph. And Jacob think he thinks he's the victim in all this. All this has happened to me. Look at all these things that have happened to me. And 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 y'all have brought all this on me. And uh and 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 now y'all want to take Benjamin. Now this is gonna get beautiful. Reuben is gonna step up even again. So Benjamin now steps up and thirty seven. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. Reuben steps up and says, if I take Benjamin, he'll be back. I promise I won't do this to you. Do you all see this? Where do you think all this motivation is coming from? What do you think Reuben's really saying? Jacob doesn't know it, but what is Reuben really saying? I won't let it happen again. Now Jacob doesn't know that he 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 thinks because he thinks Joseph got killed by a wild animal, but Reuben knows what happened. This is Reuben's moment to tell his father. And you're going to see some more of this happen as we as we finish out this narrative before we're done with Genesis. But this is Reuben playing the role of us. We're Reuben. Hey father. It won't happen again. I know I sinned against you. I know I did a horrible thing. Trust me. You, you, you trust me and put me in a situation, Father, and I won't sin against you again. Reuben wants the opportunity, and he is not going to let this happen to his father again. So here's brother number one. For the first time, looking at the jealousy that has been created by his flawed father. you know We have a, a father that isn't flawed. They have a father on earth that is flawed, like all of us. And even though Jacob is showing just as much favoritism to Benjamin as he did to Joseph, Reuben is saying, it doesn't justify me allowing you to hurt at the loss of another one of your sons. I don't even like the way we get treated since we were children of of other wives that you didn't love the way you loved their mama. And before I got so mad about it, and I should have done more to keep the brothers, even though you caused this rift between us, there's no excuse to sell Joseph into slavery. And even though it may bother me that Benjamin is still your favorite, I love you enough. Don't miss that. I love you enough, Father, that I won't let that hurt happen to you again. I want to have compassion for you, and we won't do this to you again. So he says, and and I will put on the table your grandsons that are my sons. You can kill my sons if I don't come back with Benjamin. Well, Jacob does not respond to this because why? Jacob's not going to kill his grandsons. So even though this is Reuben trying to dramatically show how serious he is about it, Jacob under no circumstances, is going to kill his grandsons. So he doesn't want to be put in that position. But anyway, it is moving and powerful to see what Reuben is doing here. 38. But he said, "My son shall not go down with you for my brother for his brother is dead. don't miss that, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to shell, which is hell, a type of hell so that's got to hurt. Here's Reuben telling Jacob, I care about you, and I won't let anything happen to Benjamin. And then you see Jacob using phrases like, he's already lost his brother. Well, So Joseph wasn't our brother? He doesn't call Joseph their brother. He calls it Joseph Benjamin's brother. And then he says... Now, keep in mind, Simeon's in jail. He says, but but if I were to lose this one, something were to happen to him on the journey, I just just couldn't take that. Uh, You you just, you can't can't take this, and he even says he is the only one left. Wait a minute. (laughs) What are you talking about? I mean, there's, there's actually quite a few of us left. Joseph's the only one you don't have. You know, you have eleven. And and what's Jacob say? I got one. So you see, Jacob really has struggled with with not considering his other sons as equal to Joseph and Benjamin. And um and even though this has caused a terrible situation, we will see as we uh continue that um these brothers will begin to take on an attitude that is an attitude like we should take. And you see, Reuben's already started it, but this is only going to to continue. So as we leave this week uh, wondering what's going to happen next, as of this point, Jacob says, you can't take Benjamin. You know, Simeon's in jail. Yeah, but you can't take Benjamin because something might happen to him. And uh, Joseph is standing by, waiting to see if his brothers will pass the test and bring this brother back to see Joseph. And those of you that know the historical event, you know what's going to happen next, but it really sets us up for another very dramatic scene coming up in uh, in Genesis 43 when they do return to Egypt, and they need to return with Benjamin or it's going to be a big trouble. So our our takeaways uh, from this week are so many. Uh, But I think one of the things that, that, that when we sit and we think about the gospel message and we see us in the position of this foreshadowing, I think the question we have to ask ourselves today at the end of this, have we gotten to the point now where we care not how our sin affects us But have we gotten to the point where we care about how our sin affects other people? But most importantly, how our sin must make God feel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the for the message and and thank you for the opportunity, Lord, for us once again to unpack this, this history of our world, our fallen world, and these people that you, Lord, have have taught us so many things through the documentation of others before us and their encounters with you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. But, Lord, thank you for being just. Thank you for your perfection. And continue, Lord, to mold us into something that you're more comfortable with. Lord, we, we repent of our sin. We lament over the fact that we have sinned against you when all you have done is loved us. We know that you love us, Lord. The part that we struggle with in our fallen state is we have to get to the point that once again, only you can help us accomplish where we actually love you. Because when we love you, and only then, that's when we obey you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us.